we have an obligation to understand it and interpret it consistent with church, the, the history of the church. We're part of something that precedes us. Yeah. So we're not, it's not each generation starting fresh, just going, all right, so now what does this mean to you? Um, right. so, so that's a value of confession is that it keeps us connected mm. to right. the history of the church. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles. We scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Make and Multiply. I'm Matt Groon, pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, uh, joined with uh, and joined by my friends Caleb Durenberger and Ryan Chase, um, pastoral resident and pastor at Emmaus Road Church. And um, we're gathering today to discuss the idea of being a confessional church. We would say we're a confessional church. Um, so a little bit, we want to talk about what does that mean? <laughs> Is that a good thing um, or not? And what are kind of some of the practical af- effect of being a confessional church rather than a non-confessional church? So Ryan, why don't you, I'll, I'll tee it up and you take a swing at it. Let's start with defining what we mean when we say not necessarily a confessional church, but what does it mean to be confessional? Yeah. Well, the word confess means to say with. Um, and so you know, the idea of a confessional church means a, a church or a family of churches that are defined by a shared confession or statement of faith. This is what we believe. We say this is what we believe. So we are confessing this together. Um, so it, it means that we are defined theologically and doctrinally as a church and as a, a family of churches. It means that at the heart of what unites us is not just um, a, a certain style of worship or certain practices. You know, all mm-hmm. of our churches do things this way or that way. Or a certain liturgy. A certain liturgy or, you know, th- you'll, you'll probably find similar features across Sovereign Grace churches. But at the core, what unites us is a shared faith in what we understand God's word to teach. And so confession then is we are saying, this is what we believe scripture teaches. Um, So that's what it means to be a a confessional church, to have a standard of doctrine, Mm -hmm. theology um, that informs us, shapes our practice then, how we do life together, how we gather what the church looks like, all of those things. But it it comes out of those core convictions about who God is, Mm -hmm. what he's doing in the world, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, as revealed in Scripture. Yeah, I guess that's great. I think we also can think of, um, I don't know, I feel like there could be pushback against that of like, well, doesn't that, aren't you being restrictive? Aren't you being, you know, why, why are you defining so narrowly? Like, maybe that's just our interpretation. Maybe that's just how you guys see totally. it. And, uh, are, are, well, today, some people might see it as bigoted. Mm-hmm. Um, so why does it matter or why should it matter? And why should we seek to be confessional? What, what do we benefit from being confessional, mm. especially in today's world? Yeah. Yeah, so many benefits. I mean, uh, but you're right, especially in America um, or 
since the Enlightenment, really, in the West, th- there's been a pushback against... Oh, what the heck is the Enlightenment? Oh, Tradition. Boy, what a, oh, here now, we go. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't even... Well, th- there's, there's been uh, a trend to push back against things that are viewed as restrictive mm-hmm. of individual expression, mm-hmm. individual opinions, and so um, and, and a deep suspicion of any kind of authority. So mm-hmm. the authority of the church or... Um, yeah, so there's... Uh, a lot of people just prefer, well, I, I will decide for myself what I believe. Thank you very much. And and I'm not interested in conforming to what anybody else says or what anybody else believes. And then sources of authority, like the church, um, can be viewed as just a tool for oppressing people or getting people to conform. You know, And so th- this is really strong in America. Who are you to tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. Um, my own individual liberty, we take that to mean my right to make up my mind. Yeah. Um, so I'll just go off and I'll read the Bible for myself and I'll decide what I think it means to right. me and you go do that for you. And then you've got all this, you know, these atomized yeah. interpretations of the Bible versus um, the understanding that the Bible is not just open for each of us to make up our own interpretation of it. That's right. um, when we receive scripture today in the 21st century, we have an obligation to understand it and interpret it consistent with church, the, the history of the church, we're part of something that precedes us. Yeah. So we're not, it's not each generation starting fresh, just going, all right, so now what does this mean to you? Um, right. so, so that's a value of confession is that it keeps us connected mm. to right. the history of the church, yeah. those who have gone before us. And, it, and it's biblical. I think a lot of Protestants have a, a strong suspicion against tradition. Mm. You know, we talk about sola here, here. scriptura, scripture alone. Yep. And that's usually contrasted with, you know, the Roman Catholic, uh, the authority of tradition, right. as they call it. So Protestants hear the word tradition and think, oh no, we just we just take the Bible. We don't want anything to do with tradition. And, right. and usually in people's minds, tradition means, well, the way that it's always been done. We just do it this way because that's how we've done it. And that, that's the only answer. But actually it's, it's a biblical concept to be familiar with and faithful to mm-hmm. things that are passed on. Second Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says, so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions Whoa. that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Mm-hmm. So Paul is saying, we're teaching you the gospel. We are, you know, doctrine means teaching. We pass these things on. We were with you in person. We spoke them. We preached them. We wrote them. Now is your obligation to be faithful mm-hmm. to those things. Or he says in 1 Corinthians eleven two. now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you are entrusted with something, your obligation is to keep it, protect it, hold fast to it. And that's the language he uses elsewhere of like guarding a deposit. You imagine mm-hmm. somebody entrusting you with something extremely valuable to your care. Um, you're not free to do whatever you want with it. Right. It's your responsibility to keep it and preserve it. Right. Yeah. I think a key category is that we're not beholden to or should not be, um, the thing that we're after is orthodox tradition and like you said orthodox doctrine so like you yeah. said doctrine is teaching well orthodox is straight teaching mm-hmm. it's, right. it's it's staying in the bounds um and so a, que- a second question is well what determines what the bounds are all of our orthodoxy is stemmed ultimately in our core belief in the in the authority of the scripture of the bible the infallible word of god but that t- has taken expression that's the unchanging that's the constant that has to take expression in its own in, in the various cultures and various, um, as time and history has produced, that's what the traditions are, is the application of the word of God 
into our lives. Um, yeah, and I, I think the joke on uh, on the um, on the Enlightenment is they they sought to get rid of authority, but they didn't. They just moved it. They moved it away from the church and into well, early in the Enlightenment, science or empirical evidence, things that we can know in natural law apart from this God you speak of. Um, and we as Americans are kind of yeah, that. America was founded in that stream, but then now in these days, in these last days, in these days, we talk about, well, the authority has moved into the self. You get to determine your own, like everything you just described of going off and reading, I'll make my decision. And it's this this American individualism of, I will decide, I will be convinced. Nobody tells me what to do. How dare you? Um, And so we've, so yes, we are kind of downstream of that, but our anchor is not ultimately in confessions. Right. Mm-hmm. Our anchor is in what those confessions are confessing, yeah. Yeah. which is yeah. found only in Scripture yes. and in the revelation of God. So God's a revealing God. That's what we believe about him. He has revealed himself, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, that in many times, in many ways, God has revealed himself through the, of times of old through the prophets, but in these last days, he's revealed himself chiefly in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that is our, that's where we put the stake down. But that over the years has taken as that gospel has gone forth and had its effect in, throughout the world, as nations were discipled, as kingdoms were set up in light of this, that has, ha- that has come up against various attacks. And like one of, the, one of my favorite confessions um, is the Belgic Confession. Uh, I think it's one of the earliest confessions in the Reformation, early 1500s, mm-hmm. so I think in the, in the 30s. Um, and the author, I forget his name, Guido de Bray. That's it. Guido de Bray. He, he wrote, a, it's a confession. He wrote a letter. They were being, in Belgium, they were being, uh, the, the Protestants, the Christians were being uh, persecuted for their faith. And he wrote a letter to the king of Belgium saying, we seek above all things to be faithful citizens of your country. We, we're not trying to be rabble rousers. We're not trying to overthrow anything. But, and that's, that's a key turn. He makes a key turn at the end of the opening of the Belgic Confession, which the Belgic Confession will then go on to say all the things that they hold to. Here's what we believe, believe yeah. regarding all of it coming out of the scriptures. Scripture That's right. He says to them, we offer our, I don't have the quote in front of me and I'm just coming from memory, but we offer our backs to stripes and our feet to the fire if we were to tongues to the knives. And the tongues to the knives if we were to deny anything written to what's about to follow. Mm-hmm. That is a that in order to make those kind of statements the confession better be pretty you know, you, yeah. you got to believe what you're about yeah. to confess. They're saying that this is what we believe, and we're willing to die for it. That's right. And the point of a confession, you know, if the question comes up, well, we have the Bible, why do we need a confession? Mm-hmm. Like you just said, the Scripture alone is our authority. Um, it's the only source of revelation from God, so we don't hold confessions of faith or creeds to that level. That's right. But anytime you read the Bible, you you have to interpret what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And so confession is saying, this is what we believe scripture means. Otherwise, you would only read the Bible, close it, and not say another word about it. Right. So if you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, whoever he gave his own son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You come away and tell somebody you should believe in Jesus. You're, you're doing, you're interpreting scripture. You're, you're drawing implications and inferences from that. Yeah. And you, you think it means something and you're applying it and you're living according to it. And you, you put your faith in Jesus because of what it says. So a confession is just saying, this is what we believe scripture says. Yeah. And, and confessions like the Belgic Confession were written in time periods where the people were being faithful. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. This is what it 
is revealed in scripture and we will die for this yes. before, yeah. before we would ever deny this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's significant. And it also, confessions have a way of uh, clarify. So it not only clarifies what I believe, but also as a way of drawing some borders around what we don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has a way of defining between different traditions, different denominations. So like, yes, we are all looking at the same Bible and we are convicted as, you know, that we believe in the clarity of scripture, that it is, um, it is understandable for anyone who reads it by faith to, to take away and understand the simple message of the gospel. Yeah. But this is th- our confessions and what we believe and what we share in our belief is are the things that separate us from Presbyterians and, mm-hmm. and Lutherans and Methodists. Is it puts a it puts a border around here are the things that we believe the Bible says. Yeah. And so our church holds to a certain confession, as do all sovereign grace churches. Mm-hmm. And while there's a lot of similarities between us and the Belgian confession, there are some key differences. And enough difference that causes us to maybe do our own thing, <laughs> um, which is okay. Uh, and that's that's what's helpful about having a confession. It's saying here's what we believe, and it has a unifying, um, a unifying and clarifying effect yeah. in the life of churches. That would that would be <clears throat> one of the practical um, benefits to being a confessional church. The the joy we have in our like-mindedness and the unity that we share based off of what we believe. I think recently on a recent podcast, Matt, you were talking through your story and multiple times you talked about just the affinity that you found with like-minded people, Mm. whether it was Ryan or whether it was guys down in Louisville and how that, that shapes unity. Mm. Um, We have a statement of faith. If you did not know that, um, that lays out. What year was it written? Sorry, well, written, but what year was it passed? Passed, and then... This is a trivia question. I know it, but you guys need to know it. Two years ago? Yeah, 2020 was when the Council of Elders of our family churches voted. Voted for that over Zoom, because... Yeah, that's crazy. Council of Elders did not meet in person that year. And then, but to be clear, and if anybody has any suspicion about Zoom votes, (laughs) the next year it was was celebrated and affirmed. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Well, and we're thankful for that. I mean, if you don't know that we have a statement of faith, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most people are familiar with our shared values, which flow out of really our statement of faith. And we're thankful for this statement of faith written by faithful, Bible-rooted. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking of people like Jeff Perswell and Josh Blunt and Jared Mellinger. These guys. Rick they, Dimash. They did such an incredible job with forming this together. But again, back to the practical benefit of, of being a confessional church or one that is rooted in what we believe here. We're not just laying out the, you know, the, the of first importance beliefs that all Christians, you know, all over the place believe, but we also are laying out some of the secondary, like the tertiary um, beliefs that really do, like you were saying, really shape and, and, and kind of form off why we're not just so ecumenical, but we're an actual denomination. There are people, there are brothers that we love and care about that we would agree with and we would maybe even invite to preach in our church, maybe some Presbyterians or certain Baptist lines. We would invite them to preach in our, in our church, but we, prob- where we probably would not share in, in their application of certain counsel or in some of the, the ways that we live just because... And and then that would be one of the benefits again, that we're not just you know everyone oh you believe the Bible I do too and so therefore we just we are unified and live this way together, I think that's one of the benefits of being 
a confessional church and specifically for us shaped by our statement of faith. I think, I think they're, and you know, everything we just said about, you know, history and tradition and holding to confessions that are, that are, we, we want to, we want to be in the stream of, 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 of Orthodox Christian tradition. And then we say, well, our family of churches holds to a confession that's two, two years old. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what do we do? Well, a couple things to clarify. One is that nothing in our confession is ultimately novel. No. Um, we are borrowing heavily, well, primarily from scripture, but also from a lot of these confessions the that we've been... Some of those other yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's, there's hope in that, but also <clears throat> we're a young denomination comparatively, mm-hmm. um, and we are a growing denomination. Mm-hmm. And as, especially globally, it's, it's so encouraging to hear some of the reports, and that's a, a topic for a different day, but um, we're a growing denomination, so I, which is, praise God, but one of the amazing benefit of having a confession is it guards against um, right. uniting ourselves and welcoming those who might not believe the same things we do. It, it clarifies who we are and yeah. what we believe. Yeah, one of the healthiest things for any um, individual, family, organization, mm-hmm. entity is to have a clear sense of definition. This yeah. is who we are. This is who we're not. And it allows you, like Caleb, you were saying, it, it doesn't, people might think, well, that not that just going to set up fights and arguments on, on, you know, skirmishes on all of those borders. Not necessarily, actually, you you can have, um, I think you could argue better partnership there where, you know, here's what we believe Mm -hmm. and here's what you believe. And I'm not offended Mm -hmm. by that. And you're not Mm -hmm. (laughs) offended. And we can, we can have mutual respect there because of that definition. So it does allow us then to plant churches, to adopt churches globally and know this is who we are. And, And we're not, um, you know, one of the things every, organization institution is has to guard against is that drift as other people come in this is a huge threat in so many of the new testament letters are warning against false teachers who are creeping in and they're distorting the gospel and they're leading you astray and so the apostles are always on guard against Mm, that and warning against that well the way that you guard against false teachers and false doctrine is to repeatedly say this is the truth let me say it again and is it an interesting that we have so many different New Testament letters, and they're not just carbon copies of each other. It's not like Paul says, here's the one way to say it, and there's no other way to say it. So you can read Ephesians and Colossians and go, wow, these two passages sound really similar. Mm -hmm. Paul probably said the same thing many times Mm -hmm. in many different ways. There are lots of ways to say it, but the point is then the people who hear it have to believe it, and then they have to confess it as well. Mm -hmm. They have to say it for themselves. I think Psalm 78 is a great passage Mm -hmm. when I think about confessional... um, churches and being, you know, having, having a, a way of, we have to put in our own words what it means. Um, that Psalm says, I will utter dark sayings of old things that our fathers have told us. So, so there's a, this, we're tethered to the past. Mm-hmm. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation, the glory seeds of the Lord. So our fathers told us these things. They had to put them in their words to teach us. Now we have to say them because we believe them. And then we have to say them because we're teaching our children mm-hmm. in hopes that our children are going to believe them, which means they're going to they're going to say it. They're mm-hmm. going to confess it. He established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children mm-hmm. yet unborn, yeah. and arise and tell them to their children so yes. that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So yeah. that's the whole point of um, confessing. This is what we believe, and this unites us, and it gives us clarity and, and definition <laughs> as, as a family of churches. So that's, yeah, the sovereign grace statement of faith, which we would 
commend to everyone here mm-hmm. to be yes. familiar with. Yes. I, I think it's important maybe to clarify for people as well. Um, we say confessional, we mean um, our every Sovereign Grace church is held to that confession. The elders of that church have to sign off on that. Um, If somebody's going through ordination and they have a personal, you know, disagreement with some part, they would have to put that in writing, make an exception, get approval on that. But we don't ask our members to sign off on that. So, so that's where, you know, somebody could be a member of a church and say, okay, I'm still not quite there on this point or that one. We ask you know, in our membership agreement, everybody commits to not being divisive. Correct. So you're not going to stir up controversies. You're not looking to pick fights. You're not trying to, you know, change everybody's mind on something you, you respect. Okay, I understand this is what the church believes, what the elders are held mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. But it gives us a standard of doctrine then as elders that we are responsible to, accountable to. Right. Um, and, it gives pe- and it gives people of our churches, um, it, it gives, hopefully encourages and gives, um, you know, I don't know, hope, but that the elders are being held to something. Yes. Um, they're yeah, not able to... You can't just make stuff up. Yeah. And particularly what's nice about our church polity is not only can we... Yes, we're not just a church on an island um, where, yeah, okay, great, we have this confession, but we don't really actually hold to it. No, we are part of a region mm-hmm. that is holding each other accountable to these standards, which then is we are part of a council of, a, of the entire, I think right now in North America, of of elders who are all bound together. It's like a, right. we're bound to this constitution. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have different expressions of that in different states and in different regions, but there's no, nobody can, nobody can go rogue without recourse, without the possibility of recourse right. because of this structure. And because, and that can only happen because we're a confessional mm-hmm. church and because we are part of a confessional domination that has a confession. Yeah. So yeah. it guards against, um, you know, the hot topic of, of abuse. Uh, well, there's an external standard that we are all called to, uh, as especially as elders, and that um, congregants, members, can appeal to, and uh, and that is designed. That's not a you know gridlock is not a um, and checks and balances is not a, a fluke. Right. That, that's designed yeah. to be that way. Yeah, that encourages me as well um, as a as a member of Emmaus Road Church, as a as a one who's been born again and belongs to God, to not only know and and read our statement of faith, but to also just invest in systematic theology and growing deeply in that. Um, I mean, what we do on Sundays is, is systematic theology actually every single week. We're, we're confessing specific truths that we believe again and again and again. And in that we're protecting ourselves and we're holding each other accountable in that. I, I think it's helpful to view it as well to, as that, that what makes us a church are these doctrines that we stand upon. Not that we just are in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or not that we have a certain style of singing or music or, you know, philosophy of ministry. That's not vibe. what, yeah, that's not what makes Emmaus Road Church, Emmaus Road Church. Yeah. What we, what we hold to and what we stand upon are these unchangeable truths yeah. in, that are found in God's word. Um, Which is the only thing it can stand on if it's going to do it. Yeah. If, it's, if it's not going to be a flash in the pan yeah. where this is just a movement that happened like in the sixties or something, but this yeah. is, you know, this is, if it's going to, if we're going to have any staying power, it's got to be outside of us into something that does not change yeah. into something that will yes. last for, which is only the yeah. word of God. Yes. I, maybe one more comment. Um, <laughs> just one, just, just one, good. maybe two. Oh, well, we'll mm-hmm. see. Easy. Um, I think that sometimes people are suspicious or concerned um, when it comes to written 
confessions, creeds, anything you memorize, um, that it can be very formal and stale and dusty and dead. Um, and, and there is an appropriate concern there. Uh, I think it's been said, you know, traditionalism, traditionalism is living people passing on something dead, whereas tradition is that which is living being passed on from the dead. Mm. So generations that have gone before us, they are now dead. And what they passed on to us was a living faith. Yes. Um, and now we're alive. So it's our job to keep it and pass it on to the next generations because we're going to be dead. Mm-hmm. But the thing that keeps living is the gospel. It, yes. it is, it is, you know, God's word is living and it is active. And so we do have an obligation, not just to memorize it and recite it in a stale dead way, but to check our hearts. Yeah. And, and so the, the point I want to make is, um, you know, the aim of theology and doctrine is to stir in us worship. Yes. The way it, yes. you know, we, we say it, theology should produce doxology and worship. And so if it doesn't stir us, it's totally possible. You can walk into a, a church where they technically still hold to a confession. And, you know, if they say, well, the value here is that it's 500 years old. It's really, really old. Sure. And the but confessions you, can be beautiful. The words might be rich, glorious. Rich, yes. Exactly. And, and it can be recited by people who don't believe it. There's no living faith. And so then it is very dusty and stale and dead and they're not affected by it. And so that's our responsibility is not just to be faithful to it, but to be affected by it so that it's changing us. And then to pass it on to our children with that emphasis. The the point is not just memorize it, but we do want you to memorize it. We want you to know it. We want you to be informed by this, but we want you to believe it so that God by his grace produces living faith in you as well. Because that's ultimately how we as Christians live our lives. Like that is when I feel, when I don't feel effect, the affections of the gospel in my own life, the point is not to abandon them and or the point, or the hope is not to abandon them and find for some, yeah. need, something, need something new. I need something different. new. I need some new novel revelation. Yeah. No, it's to keep going back Go to back the to source yep. until I do feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and that's, you know, we see that most clearly, I think it was in John, I forget, John chapter six, where Jesus has a heart, he has a this in, he has this engagement with the Pharisees and the lawyers about who he is and what he's, he and the Father are one, this really confu- seemingly confusing, especially to them, diatribe about how he and the Father are one, if you see me, you see the Father, and it's just, at the end, the lawyers walk away and the Pharisees walk away and Jesus turns, to, and I think John records it as, having said a hard thing <laughs> that it was difficult for them to understand, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what about you guys? Will you guys leave me? And Peter, who had just heard this thing and doesn't really get it and won't get it, as his actions show in the next couple chapters, um, he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for Flesh did not, uh, bone and flesh did not reveal this to you, but spirit did. And that is ultimately what we're after is these confessions are not, we don't put our hope in the confession. Right. We put our hope in the, the conf- what is being confessed. The God of who's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The yeah. God of those confessions. Yeah. Because and any affection we might have is, simp- is not of our own doing. It's not of our own memorization. It's not of our own, you know, at least I can recite all the catechize, I can respond to all the catechisms. That's not the hope. The hope is that I say them until I feel them, yeah. Yeah. until I believe Worship. them, until the gospel takes right root. living. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. man, I'm, I'm grateful that we are a confessional church. I hope that this discussion will engender gladness in, our peop- in, in the people of Emmaus Road Church that we are a confessional church, not because we're, 
again, Lord forbid that we ever try and be novel and try and be new and cool or hip because that's not our aim. Our aim is to be faithful. Right. Um, and right. we want to be faithful to something, and that is the God of the, 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 of the yep. Bible and of Christ and his gospel. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe last word oh, where boy. you can find yes. the, the, our, the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. Uh, Webelieve.sovereigngrace.com. You can find it there uh, along with some resources on that. Also, if you go, go to our website, EmmausRoadSF.com, and click on Beliefs, you'll find uh, a, su- a brief summary. Yeah. And then below that, the full statement of faith. What, and, w- what would you say are some practical ways that people can, I mean, instead of just sitting down and reading the entire thing yeah. as burdensome that, as that might be, what are some ways that we can implement this in our lives, our families? Oh man, I, I think a great practice, this make this, this statement of faith, as well as some of those other historic confessions make great material for family worship. Mm. And, you know, I don't know what everybody's practice is, but a great time to do that is if you sit down regularly around the dinner table mm-hmm. as a family, make it a habit to just before people are excused from the table to read, read scripture, read, just take one, one paragraph. You'll yeah. see it's divided yeah. into paragraph sections and each one is just packed. And then there are scripture footnotes. references right. footnoted so that, you know, you got 20 different scripture passages from one single paragraph. So you could just unpack that for mm-hmm. days, but uh, you know, a family could read through after dinner, we'll read this paragraph yeah. next day, read the next one and just have conversation depending on the age of kids, you know, talk about it. what you get out of it? Re- maybe have somebody read one of those passages. MCs can do that. RMC has been working through the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith. Just read a paragraph or, or a section and talk about what stood out to you. What was a word or a phrase? Mm-hmm. Um, what did you wonder as you heard that? You know, how, how does this help you worship? And so also reading it devotionally. Uh, last, <clears throat> probably this last comment. I would encourage, especially people of Emmaus Road Church who are members who, or if you're not a member, or you, if you go and you start introducing the statement of faith, you read through the statement of faith. If you have questions, oh yeah. if you have like, wait, how did, why do we say it this way? Or why are we the, please, please feel free to engage because mm-hmm. we love our statement of faith, yeah. but we also understand that people might have questions and people are wondering how we got there. And we didn't all get there like automatically. Right. We weren't <laughs> born believing these things. And, and some of these <laughs> theological convictions have involved, you know, we arrived at the positions we have through a lot of wrestling, mm-hmm. thinking, yes. mm-hmm. struggling, yeah. reading, um, and, and then you hold them much more deeply right. because of that. So I just encourage, I encourage our people of Emmaus Road Church to to familiarize yourself with the statement of faith, mm-hmm. because it is the thing that defines us. Um, you know, at God's word as its foundations, this is the thing that we confess, the thing that we, as the people of Emmaus Road Church, hold to. Um, and so, if you have questions regarding it, please reach out and, and talk to one of us. We'd be happy to to discuss yeah. to discuss it and. and Answer any questions or help right. you engage in it. So that I think that, that one more thing. Oh my, we're done. Okay, okay. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's it. That was well, that was a dad joke right there. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.